welcome to this week's episode of Compound Your Knowledge, where we review three papers from our blog each week. This week, we'll cover value investing, strategies to reduce crash risk, crash risk in stocks, and if protective put options are an effective tail hedge. Our first paper was written by Dr. Jack here. He titled it Value Investing and Concentration, a topic near and dear to us at Alpha Architect. Um, Jack, what was your reason for writing this piece? So part of it, uh, twofold, I had an article I wrote about this a couple years ago. Um, I wanted to update the returns, and I also wanted to add in international returns because um, we, we didn't have that in the previous article. So twofold, wanted to update it, wanted to add international, and then you know a third thing is just kind of highlight um, what the effect of concentration is on value investing. Right, and, and when we talk about concentration at Alpha Architect, we mean investing in a limited number of stocks in this case, as opposed to increasing in a, in a lot of stocks. So maybe investing in 50 stocks is more concentrated than investing in 500 stocks, say, using a given strategy. Um, so you, you opened it up with, with two questions, Jack. One was, how many value stocks should I hold? Uh, in other words, does more concentration to the value factor make sense? And two, how much variation is there amongst the different value metrics? How did you go about setting up your analysis? Yeah, so what I did was um, I first looked at either in the U.S. or international, kind of like the top thousand largest firms. So wanted to make sure it's kind of like an investable universe mm. that we could pick from. And then I chose three value metrics to examine. Uh, so it was yeah, EBIT over total enterprise value, free cash flow over total enterprise value, and then just uh, the inverse of PE, their earnings multiple, E over P. Um, so I looked at those three metrics, uh, and then the previous one I only looked at one. So now I add all three metrics, and I also took like a, um, a aggregate value score where I would rank you on each of the measures, right, and then pick the top 50, 250, 500 stocks on the aggregate summary measures. Um, and so what I did in the study is I allowed the number of holdings to vary um, of our th from our universe of 1,000. Mm. I allowed the number of holdings to vary from 50 to 250 to 500 every time you rebalance the portfolio. Right. And then, so, so what, what effect did concentration have on the various value metrics? Yeah, so across, uh, on average, across all the metrics, including the average metric, mm. the more concentration one had to that uh, factor, i.e. like the 50 stock portfolio relative to the 250 and 500, uh, historically it came with a uh, higher return um, in, you know, over the full time period, right? Um, and, but that's not, you know, you, you get, historically you had a higher return, obviously that might not be guaranteed in the future, but you also had a much higher tracking error relative to the index. So that was something that I highlighted. There's kind of a pro and a con. Right, because uh, you also looked at 10-year returns and five-year returns with the concentration. And what, what did that show? Yeah, so you know, there's a decent amount of articles in the press talking about value under performance. People are showing value relative to the market, value relative to growth. Um, 
And so what I did was I just examined over the past 10 years how these portfolios did. Mm. Um, actually, somewhat surprisingly, in my opinion, over the past 10 years, it hasn't underperformed as poorly, maybe as some people want to believe, have yeah. talked about. Uh, part of that be due to the fact that other value indices may be formed not as not 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 similar to the way uh, that I formed it in the study. Yeah. Um, so over 10 years, you know, not as crazy in my opinion of uh, underperformance, but over the past five years, especially in the U.S., definitely been a large amount of underperformance. And something that I thought was interesting was. Uh, the underperformance in the U.S. was not driven by one of the metrics, right? All of them underperformed. And even if you used an aggregate, like the average of the value factors, that's still underperformed. Right. Um, right. But at the same time, internationally, it actually did okay. So right. over, over 10 years, it was like 15% annualized versus the market was 16% annualized, right? It was close, um, but, but still lagged using looking at the most concentrated, right? Yeah. Versus and again, paper portfolios, paper portfolios. So take off some fees and transactions, but uh, it's still, I, you know, it definitely underperformed, but probably not as bad as what may be being uh, perceived by some out there. But five years has, the last five years has been worse. In the U.S., yeah, in 100%. The US. That's correct. So, so the, the, there is pain there, and just being different creates pain. Um, so what should be our final takeaways on the paper then? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, value investors generally are people who believe you're buying stocks that are cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you're trying to look for bargains, right? Um, that's a big part of the uh, emphasis. The one thing I showed at the end, I thought that was interesting, was I looked just kind of at the various measures. And if you form stocks with like 50, 250, 500, what was like your earnings yield on that portfolio? And in almost all instances, when you uh, went to the more concentrated portfolio, like the 50 stock portfolio, you know, your earnings yield was much higher, your EBIT yield was much higher, your free cash flow over TEV was much higher. Yep. Obviously, that's not indicative necessarily of future returns, but you are definitely buying uh, stocks that are trading at cheaper multiples, the more concentrated the portfolio is. Right. It, yeah, the, the real idea with concentration if you believe something works now that's that's the big question do we believe it works right but if we say okay we believe value works and we believe this various metric works well then the more concentrated means we're gonna own stuff that has the best characteristics of that thing that we're targeting right and own less of the stocks that have worse characteristics of that metric which is what you're getting at with with the higher yields okay we're gonna get higher ebit yields um, uh, the more concentrated we go versus if we, you know, own the entire market or only had a 50% screen on. Yeah. W one other thing just to say is, yeah. you know, nowadays you can pretty much buy the market for free. Yeah. So at some level, if you're doing anything different than the market, it, at least a concentrated portfolio would give you a, definitely give you more differentiated exposure. Yeah. Will we'll be, <laughs> will be different for sure. Okay. Uh, our second paper this week was titled Strategies to Reduce Crash Risk in Stocks by Larry Swedra. Larry started the paper with, because equities are much riskier than high quality bonds, the vast majority of the risk of a conventional 60-40, equity, 40% bond portfolio is equity risk. That makes sense, right? Larry then took a look at a paper by Cam Harvey from Duke University and Research Affiliates 
titled The Best Strategies for the Worst of Times, Can Portfolios Be Crisis Proofed? It's something always on investors' minds. Uh, which analyzed the performance of a number of defensive strategies between 1985 and 2018. This paper to me was super interesting because it's going to walk through all these different types of defensive strategies that people are looking at. Um, and it's just, it's always a question that's on investors' mind. How do I protect myself for when things get bad? And, and this paper ran through the hard numbers. So I highly encourage anybody interested or if you're managing portfolios to, to give a read through of this. Um, but Jack, let's, let's go through the defensive strategies um, and you can tell us uh, what the results said. There, there's some of it, there's more complications. Again, go read the paper, um, but, but we're going to give the, the best we can in a short time frame. So Number one, the first defensive strategy they took a look at, which is, makes a lot of sense, continuously holding short dated put options. How'd that look? Yeah, so uh, buying sh short dated puts, pretty simple, right? You're just yep. gonna keep rolling puts throughout time. Uh, and you know, obviously, if you're buying a put on stocks, yep. when stocks go down, the value of your put, it's like almost a direct, link right and so uh one of the downsides to puts right happens to be the fact that it's costly right it's costly to run these strategies and actually if you look at like figure one of the paper you'll see there's one line that pretty much is going almost all the way down to zero and unfortunately that's a uh, strategy that just continuously holds puts and continues to roll now so if, if it's as a static strategy, uh, you know, just buying and hold puts and continuously rolling them, you're, you're generally going to probably be losing money it over time. A lot of money. Now, one thing that's true and an assumption here is you continuously roll puts. So for example, in, you know, October, November of 08, if you wanted to roll your put and buy a new put, well, implied vol and volatility is super high. Yep. So you're going to pay a massive premium. So the market has to go down like even more for you to get that money back. Right. So for most investors, right, um, you know, if you wanted to use puts, obviously you might pull the put off at some point, yep. right? And that's not what is exactly is tested here. This is just continuously rolling, yep. which is why you see that decay, which is, yeah. you know, you see the stories about people selling volatility and making money. That's, you know, one, one of the reasons. It's expensive to buy puts. Yeah. Yeah, but but it but it's it, it makes a lot of sense. You're paying a little bit of insurance constantly, which is how every form of insurance works, right? And then if in a crisis, it'll it'll give you a return. Mm -hmm. But but uh, yeah, as as this paper makes it seem, the only real way to do it is uh, is being more, maybe more tactical about it and placing it on and placing it off because because yeah. constantly doing this strategy, you're going to lose your money. Um, so number two defensive strategy, long credit protection. Yeah, so, so this strategy is uh, essentially, basically what you do is you essentially go long treasuries mm -hmm. and you short corporates, mm -hmm. right? So essentially you're taking a bet on, you know, when if, if equities blow up, the safe haven investment kind of and your duration matches is the US treasury, you short corporates. And the whole idea is, you know, that can give you a benefit. 
Um, and this strategy worked really well in uh, 08, 09. Mm -hmm. You see, I think it was up like 125 plus percent nice. during that time period. But over the, you know, the whole time period, uh, actually the premium for that is, or it, it obviously is gonna have a negative return, right? Because you're, you're shorting the credit spread or the credit premium, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, but it did work well in 08, 09. Uh, the third one, holding safe haven U.S. Treasury bonds. Yeah, so U.S. Treasuries are a great investment. A lot of people a lot of times look and say, hey, here's my 60-40 portfolio formed in 1985. Here's the past 35 years. And they say, and you see that in the 2000 and 2008-09 global financial crisis, when equities went down, Treasuries did really well. And that's a true fact. Right? There was this great negative correlation during those two crises, negative 50% drawdown periods. Mm. Right? So in what you know, we've talked about this, in a deflationary flight to quality type um, <clears throat> of a credit crisis, you know, treasuries may do well. Yep. However, what they show in this paper, which is pretty neat, um, is they show the rolling correlations between treasuries and stock market across time. And what they show is like the past like 25, 30 years of negative correlation is actually different because before that, it, it was positively correlated right. right across time. So they just wanted to highlight that although it worked really well in the past, two massive 50% drawdowns, right? Historically, there was a positive correlation, meaning that if stocks went down, treasuries would go down as well, yeah. right? So that's something just for investors to be wary of or understand that the negative correlation is not guaranteed. Right, right. Uh, yeah, 30, 30, the last 35 years, in a sense, were unique, um, as, as every 35 years probably are. Um, long gold, how'd that look? Yeah, so gold can provide some protection, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's gonna vary across time. Yep. And they highlight in this paper that it's not perfect. Right. right? And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fifth one, time series momentum. Yeah, so time series momentum um, and the way it's constructed in this paper, most people would think of it as like short-term trend following on managed futures, yep. right? So essentially, they call it time series momentum because essentially it, it's very similar or akin to trend following on managed futures, mm -hmm. right? If, if your returns are positive, you're long. If your returns are negative, you're short, yep. which is very similar to just doing trend, yep. right? And so essentially what they show here is what most people know, that uh, <laughs> trend following on managed futures. And just uh, to give you one step, the, the, you're, you're short or long the, the, the various asset class. Yeah, so there's like f uh, currency, currency equity, bonds, commodities, bonds. and equities, yeah. right? Um, and they use, I think, uh, one month, three month, and 12 month, like look back periods. Yep. Uh, not surprisingly, shorter term trends, the one and three months do much better in crisis periods, mm -hmm. right? Because short term trend following, it's just gonna be more dynamic, yep. have more ability to adjust quickly. Yep. Um, whereas the 12, you know, generally, you actually uh, can get potentially some more returns, but it's not as dynamic yep. in drawdown periods. Um, and so what they show in the paper, is you know this strategy did pretty well in the crisis periods. Gotcha. 
All right, take a look at that. And then this, the last one, just long, short equity. Yeah, so here, you know, we talk about factor investing a lot. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so all of the factors tested in academic studies are done through a long, short factor construction. So like long value, short growth. Mm -hmm. Long, small, short, uh, <clears throat> big firms. And so what they did is they looked at some of these long, short factors. Right, and they, they generally found that uh, you know just high level takeaway here is you know the quality factor uh, did the best, the long short quality. So long high, long high quality, short like the junk firms, mm -hmm. um, that factor uh, did really well in equity drawdowns. Now something you and I were talking about is hey this looks really cool, yep. right? And I said hey, but I think the biggest issue with those constructions is you know you're shorting these really crappy companies yep. and in, in a massive equity drawdown where liquidity may be pulled out of the system, it's probably going to be really hard or almost impossible to hold on to the short positions, right? Yep. They're going to get called. Yep. So that would be my one caveat with those positions is that is could be an issue yeah. in an equity drawdown. Yeah. So with any of these strategies, there's, there's always a difference between what works on paper and then the real world because the real world is always throwing constantly new things that we've never seen before, right? That's what makes it hard to earn a premium um, or to protect your portfolio. Uh, if, if it wasn't throwing different things, we'd be able to tell you exactly how to protect your portfolio. So th that's a scenario where in the real world, 2008, in the real world, not on paper, that type of strategy might have gotten you in a lot of trouble, actually. Well, well you probably just would have what would have happened is your shorts would have been called. Yeah. And so then you probably would have closed the long book and you'd just be in cash. Yeah. Right? So not necessarily trouble. All the issue would be that you're expecting it to give your other equity portfolio protection and you're just going to be in cash. Have, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the authors concluded, this is just good to, to mention, the authors concluded while it was possible to hedge crash risk, it was very costly in terms of a loss in total return, which should be expected as insurance comes at a cost. And holding treasuries is an unreliable hedge. They added that dynamic, though systematic strategies have historically provided downside benefits and also improved long-term returns. They ended with this caution, as I just said. Every crisis is different. For each crisis, some defensive strategies will turn out to be more helpful than others. Therefore, diversification across a number of promising defensive strategies may be most, most prudent. Um, I guess that any additional yeah, thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Diversification across your uh, <clears throat> uncorrelated non or attempts at managing equity risk buckets probably makes sense. And they have a neat t uh, table in the paper about the correlations amongst all these strategies. So for those interested, that's actually a good thing to look at. Yeah, very interesting paper for practitioners to read. Um, the, the last paper we have this week was summarized by Elisabetta and was titled Pathetic Protection, the Elusive Benefits of Protective Puts. Uh, this is a good follow-up to the last paper as we pretty much just ran through it, but a simple question was asked, are protective put options an effective tail hedge, which we just walked through, but Jack, tell us again. Yeah, I mean, high level, the takeaway from the paper is, uh, I think almost surprising to the author that 
that they're not as protective as just like reducing some of your equity risk. Right. That's right. So equivalently, reducing your equity risk as opposed to buying put options <clears throat> yielded similar results. And again, this just has goes back to the fact that unfortunately, uh, the price you pay like the in, in for the options through like volatility is just high. Yep. Um, the author wrote, the outcome is precisely the opposite of what is intended. And love it when that happens. Um, so that's all we have for this week. Thank you for tuning in to Alpha Architects Compound Your Knowledge. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architects. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect LLC, all rights reserved.